understand me now Sometimes I feel a little mad But don't you know that no one alive Can always be an angel When things go wrong I seem to be bad Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, and my name is Tom Chick. This week we saw Lincoln, and to discuss it, I am here with the mellifluent gentleman from Winnetka, Mr. Christian Mirkovsky. It's Bean Pole. I mean Josiah. Silly name. <laughs> and with a Lincoln tagline, Kelly Wand. It's like Amistad, but white. <laughs> I had two other ones. The alternates were four score and seven minutes too long. Ah, good. Yes, yes. And finally, the bedroom scene between Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith we've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, yeah. And that's how a bill becomes a law. <laughs> uh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Uh, first of all, do we have any uh, corrections from last week? I do. Yes, Kelly Wand. I'd like to retract all interest in that Seth Rogen, Barbara Streisand road movie. Because, Why? Because I saw the trailer for it, and oh, okay. she's his mom, not his love interest, which I right, thought right. she was. And they look like they have fun on the trip. Fuck that shit. Oh, like it should be a miserable experience? Like yeah. Of, uh, automobiles, like that kind of road trip? Yeah, I thought she was going to be like Zach Galifianakis. And do they? Right, right. But instead, they're like, oh, we love each other. All right, so, Kelly yeah. what has your rate for guilt trip gone up to? Uh, oh, probably the most of any movie this year, I'd have to say 850, as in 850. So, higher, higher than parental guidance. You would rather see parental guidance with Bette Midler and Billy Crystal oh. instead of guilt trip with Barbara Streisand and Seth Rogen. A, what's the difference? And two, what was my... Fee for the first one? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to check the books on that later. All right. Then it's whatever that is. All right, Dingus, do you have any corrections that you need to make from last week? Uh, not that I can uh, think of. I, I apologize for not reading the listener submissions, though. Oh, I apologize for that as well. Uh, we'll see if we can do that this week. Uh, all right, so let's see. Uh, I have any trailer uh, anecdotes. So, uh, Kelly Wan. Guilt trip, you're over guilt trip now. Not into that. Yeah, uh, I'm over my guilt trip. Okay. Uh, Dingus, any trailers that you actually watched this week? Um, I don't think there was anything I really needed to avoid, but there's nothing that sticks either. All right. I'm bummed well, you guys didn't take me up on seeing the Jack Reacher trailer. I thought I uh, convinced mm, you. Nope, not sold. No. I did see part of the Gangster Squad trailer. So. Ugh. There's that. I love that trailer I, so much. I love the music to it. <laughs> I do too. I just love that you see this this self important looking movie and then it says opening January 2013. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> Wait, I get it. What's the point? Because only movies that are as good as the gray opening January <laughs> Kelly Wand. Oh. So if Dingus just sees the word January on a movie screen, he laughs. Yep. That's pretty much it. Ah, January release. Losers. Well, we are now, this was a, uh, for all intents and purposes, I would call this a December release. Um, Christmas movie. Yeah, let, let's get to it. So, uh, Dingus, don't spoil anything, but how would you 
tell people what we saw this week without giving away any important plot points? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this week we saw Lincoln. Lincoln. Mm. Did you say his name? Lincoln? Hit that L. Hit both L's. Hit them hard. Lincoln. Pronounce only the second L. Oh, okay. Then this week we saw L. A 2012 American biographical drama history movie mm. about the House of Representatives voting on the 13th Amendment. Awesome. It, will, it was directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Tony Kushner, based in part on Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It stars Daniel Day-Lewis, James Spader, Jared Harris, Lee Pace, Michael Stuhlbarg, Steven Spinella, Daniel... Oyelowo, Lucas Haas, and Dane DeHaan. Lincoln is rated PG-13 for an intense scene of war violence, some images of carnage, and... Carnage? Carnage, I barely narnage. Uh, and brief, strong language. Briefness is now for adults only. They used their one F word, and they used it properly. That's right. Yeah, they gave it to the right actor, too. Uh, all right, so uh, Lincoln, uh, because of a scheduling situation this weekend, we don't know the box office uh, in in terms of the specific number, but I'm going to bet you dollars and donuts that Lincoln is number three this weekend behind uh, Twilight 5.2 and Skyfall, uh, but it will be ahead of Wreck-It Ralph. So that's my prediction. And I think it'll probably, based on the Friday numbers, come in around uh, $20 million or so, maybe. Uh, however, critically, we know how it's doing. On Metacritic, which rates movies by the average rating of reviews that use ratings, Lincoln is at 86. What? On, on, uh, 86. Is that... Uh, no, I meant, like, what? No way, not what, did you well, say? Well, hold that thought, because it gets better. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Lincoln, 90%. Oh, wait, that gets better math-wise? 90 is higher than an 86, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, th- those are the numbers. Uh, Kelly, Wan, do you have any questions, or do you need any clarification, or... Uh, out of 100... That's not a question. <laughs> no, I don't. I just have that sentence fragment. <laughs> Permission to treat Kelly Wanda's hospital. <laughs> well, in that case, I will say, what a joy to be comprehended. <laughs> and I will move along. Kelly Wand, why don't you give us a blow-by-blow account of everything that happens in the movie Lincoln? Why don't you basically spoil it? Um, maybe give us a, oh, I don't know, a Lincolopsis? No. No? Lincopsis? It's a fun one. Linksis. A Linksis. Yeah, uh, get it. Yes, a Linksis, right. Like my router. See? <laughs> router. I don't know why that would be funny. It's like he had to route the troops. Uh, yeah. That's part and the grain. <laughs> and all the silver. They had to reroute all the yeah. silver. <laughs> a lot of uh, rich material to draw from. So, Kelly Wand, uh, let's Thanks, hear Beth. a Linksis. Yes, rock and roll. Sidebar, before the movie takes place, Abraham Lincoln's born. His mom gets killed by vampires, so he... (laughs) Uh, I hate my life. His mom gets killed by vampires, so to fight them, he becomes a lawyer. 
Then he becomes president, wearily oversees three bloody years of civil war, but shortly after the Battle of Gettysburg, is abducted by time travelers from the future to help them pass a history final. Despite being informed of the nature and date of his assassination by Billy the Kid only minutes before having to go on stage, he nevertheless does some of the greatest oratory work of his career before being whisked back to 1863 and another two years of backbreaking casualty reports and amputated limbs. End of sidebar. In 1865, the House of Representatives passes the 13th Amendment. The end. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> So in the movie, it was one thing. <laughs> one event movie for two fucking hours and a half. It was kind of a uh, 19th century version of C-SPAN, wasn't it? It's called Lincoln. I thought it was going to be about a dude and not like a fucking bunch of bullshit. Wow, so Kelly Wynn, it sounds like you would not be amongst the 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. You would be amongst those 10%. I learned more about him from Vampire Hunter. <laughs> but you haven't yet seen uh, Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Though. There's a zombie one, or Abraham Lincoln zombie killer, or whatever it is. Um, that's the trauma one. Uh, no, that's the group called the Asylum, I think. But there's so there's more Lincoln history out there, Kelly Wand, if, you, if you're interested. Uh, all right, so uh, Dingus, uh, Kelly Wand, what what do you think of what, what do you think of what Kelly Wand just said? Um, I think he's being a little harsh. Ooh, Kelly Wand, what do you have to say to that? No, I'm not. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Suck it, Dingus. You're an idiot. Lincoln sucks. I believe I have the floor, sir. I have the floor. <laughs> yes. No. Abstain. I. Uh, all right. Well, uh, then I guess I'll be a kind of a tiebreaker. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to break any ties. I, I was just kind of okay with it. Uh, for the most part, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty forgettable. It, it's. Uh, I'm not going to remember this movie in a month, but I wasn't bored. I, I enjoyed it as I was watching it. I appreciated certain aspects of it. Um, I certainly enjoy watching Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, but for the most part, I think I'm leaning towards the Kelly Wand camp. I don't know that I would say it was awful, though. Here, here's what I'll say, Kelly Wand. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, in that, it, it, I really was expecting just something just awful and tedious, and um, I, I don't think it was either of those things. It, it was watchable. Uh, I don't not feel awful like, or tedious is your... Well, I was really expecting that. I mean, you mentioned Amistad. I've never even seen that, but I know it's awful and tedious. Uh, so I, I was expecting that with uh, Lincoln. Um and I, I, I found it very entertaining. I really enjoyed the cavalcade of actors, even if they didn't give them much to do. Uh, I enjoyed it as a as a nineteenth century legislative procedural. <laughs> you know that aspect of it was kind of fun, even though at times I'm sure it was very glib with what actually happened. I couldn't care less. Um, so I, it was just way better than I, I was worried about it being. Um, Bureaucracy in the nineteenth century was, <laughs> etc. I, I was what? I mean, finish the finish the the the, uh, the statement because I I think I might agree with it. it. Was what? I mean, I found it a little fascinating. You didn't. Here's what. Well, let, let me put it this way, Kelly Wand. Here's what I, I think it's actually a little bit relevant. Not as relevant as what I think Doris Kearns Kern Goodwin's book that Chick's book is about. Uh, but, but I think it's relevant as a look at. Um, the issue of executive power during war and the legislative branch. I, I mean, the fact that Tony Kirshner, Kushner, what's his name? Kushner. 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 That he chose to focus on that aspect from Kearns Goodwin's 
Kern Goodwin, whatever, from that chick's book, uh, I, I really appreciated. I liked what they decided to focus on. Um, but a lot of the stuff that's interesting to me about Lincoln is like his early life and like right. he was just he lost every election he was in till he became president. Like he's failed his way upwards and like came from the humble beginning. Like that stuff's more interesting to me, I guess. Well, you're definitely right in that it's it it's it's very fo- it, it's not the kind of focus you would expect from you, you you see the title you hear the running time you see the cast and you think good lord this is going to be some epic biopic like gandhi or something you know we're going to get the greatest hits of everything in his life and it's not that at all Instead, it's just the same length but it's all like one courtroom scene but i think it gives it it, it allows the movie to take more time with the issue i think and i i appreciated that that part of it um so so dingus get in here uh are you going to be our lincoln apologist Definitely. But, I mean, you're kind of making my argument for me, uh, which is basically how I set this up. I made a backroom deal, and you're going to be a tax collector in Ohio. Uh, You just went ahead and, even though you might get shot, you're going to make my argument for me. I I couldn't be more pleased that it turned out that way, because I thought, and help me me with saying this word, because I've seen it written, and I don't know if I've ever used it out loud. Um, Hagiography? Uh, Yeah, I think that's how you say that. Yeah. Isn't that right, how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I was going in expecting, and that's why I didn't want to see this. I, you know, when I saw that Spielberg was making a movie called Lincoln, I just thought, really? Yeah. We're, oh, you're going to tell us how great Lincoln is? Boy, that's some news <laughs> flash. <laughs> we, we definitely need to see all of the things that Kelly was talking about that we already know. Um, and and you know, <laughs> given that I don't I don't look at anything but the poster, I don't know what it is going in, so I had no idea that the entire focus was going to be on um, not creating the 13th Amendment, just, but just this little sliver of, of time in getting the 13th Amendment through the House of Representatives, and that's it uh, for the large part. And I loved that. I loved the focus on that bureaucracy and, and that corruption that, that Lincoln had to, uh, had to be a part of. Um, and I really do like, I think Tom is absolutely right, that, that, uh, that it captures... Something that's that's really pertinent to uh, watching how a president can succeed or fail, and has to use somewhat corruption. Even what it, what what does uh, Tommy Lee Jones say? The, the purest man in America uh, uses corruption to pass the most important piece of legislation he can pass. I I I guess I'm just a junkie for that kind of thing. Dingus, let me. I want to ask you then, because you've used corruption, uh, and did did Thaddeus Stevens actually like? Is that part of his actual quote in the movie? Does he use the word corruption? And I, and I just ask because I kind of uh, want to take issue with that. I, I don't feel like there was corruption so much as competing principles. Does that make sense? Well, certainly, but but yeah, he uses the word corruption. I mean, when he gets in bed with um, uh, Will, Will Smith. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> So he does. Okay, he does use the word corruption. Well, well, I I kind of disagree with that, though. I mean, I didn't feel like the movie was really showing us corruption so much as competing principles and 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 how Lincoln navigated those. Mm. Uh, like I, I think if, I would agree with that. But okay. but if we were told today that Barack Obama had passed the Affordable Care Act by promising everybody who is going out of office in their lame duck session, all of these appointments, we would consider that corruption. Mm, really? Well, here, here's why I, I, I sort of want to take issue with that, because I think one of the important, one of uh, the things that I was a little disappointed in, and I imagine this touches a bit on what Kelly takes issue with, is that 
we don't really see any meaningful character arcs for the most part. We do in some of the ancillary characters, but but there's no like like Lincoln is just presented as this very straightforward. He's fascinating to watch, but he doesn't really change, and that's okay because it was a very short period of time. Um, what we do see change, and what I found most fascinating as far as like watching a character develop, was how they reveal Thaddeus Stevens, Tommy Lee Jones' character, and how he becomes the figurehead for this political idea. And I think it's an important political idea, and it's often written off as corruption when that's not the case. But this important political idea of setting aside your principles for political realities. That was my favorite thing in this movie, is seeing how Thaddeus Stevens was, a, was the embodiment of of that um, in, in this movie, and I wish more people could appreciate that as part of the political process. You know, Barack Obama gets a lot of criticism for not uh, seeing through certain agendas that he used to have, and I think that's the key to that, is that sometimes your political principles have to be compromised or sacrificed or put on a back burner to navigate political realities. Um, and a lot of times I think, you know, that is called corruption. I feel that's a little unfair. Um, well, I think the moment you're talking about, which I loved, you know, where he where he stands up and says equality before the law only. Right. Um, which which is he doesn't important. believe. Exactly. He doesn't believe that. But he it's an important moment for that character. Right. Um, I don't think that's what he's referring to when he gets into bed with uh, what's her name? Smith. Will Smith. With Will Smith. <laughs> uh, but actually, the, the character's name is actually Smith, I think. Lynette Smith, something like that. Um, that's and that's that's real. He was he was in a in a relationship with his uh, with his housekeeper essentially for many many years, and everybody knew it. Um, but what he's talking about are all the other deals, like with Waltz and Goggins, that making a deal so that he'll turn a certain way, are all the other things that that James Spader and his den of uh, den of <laughs> thieves have to do. That is corruption. But what um, I, I would agree so. with you. What Thaddeus Stevens is doing is not. It's it is exactly what you're talking about, making a, a compromise for right. the greater good. Right, Kelly Wan, do you feel that uh, the three, the Den of Thieves, the Bilbo faction, uh, Bilbo, <laughs> that was his name. I couldn't Bilbo. believe that. They kept saying that. And I was like, am I hearing this correctly? I know. Me too. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you feel do you feel that was corruption? Yeah, but it's what you said. It was just semantics. He needs to do that to get the. I mean. Politics is just backdoor dealing anyway. Right. You know what? Backdoor dealing. I'm just much more comfortable with that. That sounds that sounds shady, uh, but it doesn't sound as morally bankrupt as the word corruption. Uh, so, uh, And by the way, how long did it take you guys to realize you were looking at James Spader? Uh, two minutes. You're good, Kelly Wan. Dingus, how long did it take you? Um, well, I've got, that po- I've got a poster of him on my wall. <laughs> no, not long at all. The actual guy or James Spader? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a cardboard cutout, and I take pictures of it daily with me. Of James Spader as being Bilbo? Yeah, be, he's, he's Bilbo, and I dress as John Hawks. All right. <laughs> Kelly Wan, we need you to be uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Who's been in more movies this year, John Hawks or uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Uh, the answer to that is Jeremy Renner. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> oh, no. All right, well, let's get it. Okay, so Dingus, now let's hear what your problems were with the movie. It sounds like we've uncovered one of them. Do tell. Um, let me ask this. Yes. Has Sally Field ever been good? Oh, Dingus! Uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit? Norma Ray? Flying Nun. Murphy's Romance is kind of a good rom-com. What about that baton twirling thing on Saturday Night Live? Wasn't that good? <laughs> I know she must have been good at some point. We like her, and, we really like her, I know. Well, I know we're supposed to like her, we're really supposed to like her. Oh, uh, wait, but- 
Hold on, I have to real quick say I've just made an error. Uh, it's Sissy Spacek who does this really hot baton twirling short. It was broadcast on Saturday Night Live, and I, f- I was briefly thinking that was Sally Field. So I'd like to retract my suggestion. All right, good. Now we don't have to wait till next week for you to correct it. <laughs> uh, but what? So, so what? You're, uh, you had a problem with uh, with Sally Field, huh, Dingus? What else did we see her in? Oh, she was in Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> I, yes, yes. I am. I just thought, and and this is partly unfair because I so loved. Uh, I loved Daniel Day-Lewis in this. I absolutely love him. Um, This is just a snapshot, so you're not going to see an arc. But he... He's just so solid and real, and I love his character introduction. Um, I, I just loved him sitting there while uh, while Dane DeHaan and Lucas Haas do the Gettysburg Address for him. <laughs> it's like the schizophrenic answer man kind of a thing. Um, and I loved him and just the way he looked in those in the in that opening scene with him, sort of bemused and. Uh, weary and he just carries so much with him and then and it's a little unfair to match almost any actor up against him but a lot of them do fine but um yeah, and joseph joseph gordon levitt just can't do it and i love joseph gordon levitt but that scene where he has to yell about joining the military oh, felt so embarrassed for him we well, know dingus i don't i i really just think that it was such weak material and it was so out of place all that stuff you know, I'm okay with you know f- with hearing the stuff about her having headaches, and we know that's part of his home life, whatever. But all of that little false tension about are we going to let our son enlist? All of that should have been cut because it had no place. It didn't add anything. It felt forced and contrived. Um, it felt like it was in from another movie, maybe one Kelly Wan wanted to watch or something. But but uh, hey. <laughs> is that the kind of part of Lincoln's life you wanted to see, Kelly Wan? Which part? The sex. But. <laughs> The yes. scene where she's uh, she's on the floor and he's pleading with her and talking about you know don't talk to me about grief. Um, yeah, yeah, you're you're probably right. We don't need to know that necessarily. We don't need to know Mary Todd's mental problems necessarily. But he still he when he's there holding out his hands and talking, I believe everything he's saying, and I don't believe a word that she's saying. Yeah. All right, so uh, how about all the other female characters in the movie? How do you feel about them? There were other ones. <laughs> Let's see. There was Sally Field. There was uh, there was the the maid, um, not not Thaddeus Stevens' maid. Sally Field's uh, handmaiden, uh, whoever she was. And then Boy, some. She was in ER. Uh, not familiar with that. What movie is that? Dingus. Uh, and then there was someone had a wife at one point. She had a little bit of screen time. Oh, Hal Holbrook's, I guess, wife or daughter. I don't know who that was. There was another woman there. Um, but you know what? I'm actually okay with that. I mean, because this is, like I said, a 19th century C-SPAN. There were no women in there. Uh, I was okay with the fact, you know, this is about male characters. You know what? It's kind of like a, a 19th century like West Wing. Like, this is politics of the day. We're just going to follow the dudes in politics. Uh, oh, that's so. why you liked it. That's why you liked this movie. Because it was like 19th century West Wing. Uh, well, just the like I said, a, a legislative executive branch procedural from that, that time period. Uh, I like that aspect of it. So you can't expect there to be many women in there. There was, I will say, though, a, a moment where uh, I, I felt a little – I got a little glimpse of some of the stuff that Steven Spielberg did in Jaws and Close Encounters with those movies' domestic scenes. And there's a mm-hmm. great bit where um, – 
uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is coming home to the White House, and his little brother is talking to him while Sally Field is talking to him. And there's just that great little sense of like family chaos that reminded me of the family scenes in Jaws and uh, Close Encounters. Uh, but so aside from that, how did you guys feel that Steven Spielberg did? Kelly, he's, proceed. Proceed. He's Kelly. fine. <laughs> it was so, more of a writing issue. I mean, he does a lot of crane shots, and um, but everything's in a back door in a dark room, so there wasn't much to evaluate. Okay, uh, Dingus, how would was that? terrible. <laughs> Sabu disapproves. <laughs> C minus. So Sabu, for folks who don't know, is someone in the room with Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand has a, uh, a, a has, has received local disapproval for his comment. Uh, Dingus, how do you feel uh, about Steven Spielberg doing? How, how did you feel he did as director? You know, for the most part, I thought he did fine. And again, part of this is hung up in that I thought I was going to get this uh, ridiculously reverent biography, and it's just this snapshot. Um, there's a few moments that, you know, you know, quite frankly, one of the problems with Steven Spielberg that crops up in this is that I wish he could have a relationship with another composer for once. Because oh, God. I am sick of John Williams, and I used to love that guy. I mean, he's a little more restrained here than usual, but but in that wonderful scene that you referenced earlier with with Thaddeus Stevens uh, talking about equality, the the music can't help but tell us exactly how to feel. Ugh. And I'm so sick of him quoting himself and doing. I mean, after Tintin, I don't want to hear him anymore. I, I just don't want to hear him anymore. And I wish, and I understand that probably the, the the nature of the relationship is that Steven Spielberg feels he has to use him every single time. But I just wanted somebody else. I wanted a different musical voice for this movie, or none at all, or that kind of thing. I was so grateful how much time went without music. Actually, yeah. as I was watching it, I was just like waiting for that music to drop. And and when it didn't, as the movie went on and on, and just let us have scenes of people talking, I was very grateful that we didn't have to listen to the music. It's like a laugh track. Oh God! It really is Kelly Wong, yeah. and it, it and it, it where it most bugged me is uh, when Lincoln makes the decision to uh, delay the Secesh peace delegate, the, the the peace delegates from the South. Um, you know, when he makes that decision, before he makes the decision, the music starts, like yeah. the music to yeah. signal this is an important decision. Telegraphs. Oh my God! Literally, because it's at the telegraph scene, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was just awful that. Yeah, but but does Spielberg see that and go, oh, that's fucking it up? Like, well, I think Spielberg has a uh, he's kind of let's just call him soft. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I, I mean, he's an old man. He's grandpa. And and I also wish though, and, and part of what I, uh, my my feeling on Spielberg as a director is that he's really not an actor's director, and this is an actor's movie, you know. And, and fortunately, he gets great actors. But I couldn't help but you know watch this and think of you know what if someone like like Steven Soderbergh had done this movie? Mm. What if somebody had done this movie who really appreciated what his actors were doing? Because I don't feel that was always the case here. You know, you get there, there's a couple of great moments with some good actors. It, it, but, but way fewer than there should have been. Like every single one of these scenes w- w- with great actors and, and, and wasting someone like Adam Driver, Jackie Earl Haley had a, a brief sort of moment where he was cool. But, but I, I mean, 
I, I just really wish that this movie had been directed by an actor's director and not Spielberg, who is, is soft, who is just conventional, traditional, um, a little too reverent for my taste. Yeah. Um, so for for the most part, I, I, I was not fond of the direction. Uh, it, 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 the best I could say about the direction is that it did no harm. Um, I blame the know, writer. I don't. I like I liked a lot of the writing. I mean, uh, I like some of I like some of these lines. Like, jeez, uh, my trust in him is marrow deep. I mean, I love that thing. I love that thing about uh, I don't want to hang a boy for being frightened. What good will it do him? Uh, I love that scene where he's sitting there behind uh, Adam Driver during that telegraph scene and saying, um, "Do you, do you think we decide to be born, or and are we suited to the uh, time we're born in?" You didn't like that. No, I think it's I, that's one where it started. There, there were I don't know what like. Uh, Tony Kushner drew from the book and what was his own, but you know the holding forth in front of the telegraph operators about Euclid. I there were a few of them where it was a little too much for me, and it didn't. And they all acted like that. They were like, "Wow, he's talking to us every time." But Jesus Christ! Well, well to me, like, it, it felt like um, it felt like a lesson from him, in addition to him working things out in his head. And, yeah. and part of this is just the facility Daniel Day Lewis has in, as an yeah. actor, and very few actors can uh, overcome poor writing. And maybe you're right. Maybe that is poor writing. But he's just so good with every single thing he says. Uh, hey, Kelly Wand, tell Dingus that uh, Tony Kushner wrote Mu- Munich. He wrote Munich, Dingus. My God, I hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like Munich's writing more than this movie's writing. Whoa! Did you hear good that? God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Jesus. You know, Tom, I like what you were saying about uh, a different director. Because suddenly, it, uh, how do you say his name? J.C. Chander? Is that how you say his name? The guy who did Margin Call? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. Exactly. I would love to have seen oh, somebody like good. that do this. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Oh, dingus. You know what? Screw that. I hated this movie now. Look at how good Margin Call was. You know, you take dry material, you take a bunch of white dudes talking to each other in a room, and you get something as thrilling as Margin Call. This is this should have been as good as Margin Call. And, yeah, that's a great comparison, dingus. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't uh, seen that yet, and I haven't well, seen Hump Day either. Uh, well, get on that, Kelly Wand. Uh, I was also disappointed that the guy who gave us Saving Private Ryan, uh, you know, the, the, the modern <laughs> version of the, the, the modern expression of the horrors of war, opens with a mud wrestling scene to represent the horrors of war. That was ridiculous, uh, wasn't why it? Did, why did we have to wade through that? What the hell? Get it? <laughs> Oh, sorry. We, like, we don't know the context? I mean, come on. It should have been an R-rated Saving Private Ryan Civil War movie called Lincoln. Well, you'll notice, Kelly Wan, they also narrowly avoided showing smoking. If it hadn't have been for all those severed limbs, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have lit up. Did you catch that? Oh, oh that's a good point. He can't do it. I can't do it. Wait, you're allowed to show the construction of a cigarette? As long as it doesn't get lit, sure. And he doesn't. So you can show the failed construction of a cigarette. Hmm. See? So kids, you can make them, just then throw them away or like take them apart. Or don't even make them. Yeah, just just uh, if if you don't make it, if it falls apart. Uh, so let's let's talk uh, Daniel Day Lewis because Dingus, you're you're so right. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis, the guy can just do no wrong. He can just read the phone book and I, I you know, give him an Academy Award. Uh, but I just loved so many little touches. I loved. His uh, the voice which I was so taken aback at in the trailers uh, just sounded great. It fit yeah. uh, certainly his look. Um, the the guy is just 
fascinating to look at. And there were there were a few moments of just little things that I really admired. And I can't help but think, you know, did were these choices Daniel Day Lewis made? Uh, but so one of the things I, I wanted to I, I loved when he's in that telegraph room and they're waiting for the results from the battle at uh, so Williamsburg. I forget what city they were going for. Um, Agincourt. No, think it's <laughs> Hastings. Uh, I, I love the fact that he's holding Bruce McGill's hand. You know, like how, how affectionate he was, actually. Like when he's holding hands with his secretary of war, that was kind of adorable. Uh, I love when he wakes up the guy, and I don't know who the guy was, and, and while he's sitting on the bed reading the pardons. Uh, and the guy wakes up, like, what time is it? And, and Lincoln, you know, reads him about the pardon and decides to pardon the boy. And then, and then he pats him on the leg with the same kind of fervor that I used to, like, pat my cat on the butt. Like, I just loved the, those little gestures. Uh, and Tom's now, cat's butt. Well, you know, you know, when you have a sturdy, big old cat, Kelly Wan, you can really, you can, like, treat it like a puppy. Uh, and they dig that kind of thing. But I, I just loved, uh, I just loved the, the, the affection that he, he had towards people. I loved watching him, uh, and I know this is designed to pull our heartstrings, but I still loved watching him get down on the floor with his kid in his first scene with him. Yep. I knew you'd be a sucker for that, Dingus. Yeah, I'm, I'm a total sucker for that. But I like that, and I like the intercutting where he's reading with his kid. and I mean, because that, that's sort of interesting from the point of view of, of what that kid was actually like. That he's I don't know if that's real, but I really liked that, that stuff. Uh, how did you guys feel about so many men wearing uh, like blankets as shawls? <laughs> there was a lot of that. It was hot. <laughs> Especially uh, David Strathern had some kind of like yellow writing jacket made. Looked like it was made out of drapes. Or something. Oh, that, that was very funny. <laughs> what the heck was that? That was awesome. <laughs> that next to Tommy, he just, just come in from a production of the Mikado or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dingus, did you, uh, you, you're the one who's brought this up before, Dingus. I know, uh, when we watch movies, you can sometimes tell from the dialogue when a character is going off to get killed. Like, for instance, we saw a movie, I don't want to spoil it, uh, it, it, it rhymes with animal bingdom, uh, where a character says, I'm gonna go, don't, for, uh, a wife tells a husband, don't forget the milk, before, uh. and Dingus, you heard that, and you're like, oh, he's gonna get killed. I had no idea. Was there a don't forget the milk scene in Lincoln? Oh, yes. Yeah, there were three of them in a row. <laughs> the the butler looks after him, and he stops, and he says, and Lincoln goes, I want to stay, but I got to go. And it's fucking Twilight Zone shit. <laughs> I want to stay, but I got to go. <laughs> you know what think- his actual line is, of course? Am I in trouble? Oh. <laughs> no, but no, no. After that, he says, "If I'm a, I want to stay, but I, I got to go." And then the sun's at another play, right? Why is that? It's theater night for the family. They go to different plays. It's like when some when a family goes to a multiplex and the kids go see Finding Nemo 3D and the adults see Apollo 18. And you know, it's uh, uh, Lincoln and his wife went to see. Actually, what was the play? It's like a trivia question. Was it called something like My Country Cousin? Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. And Which is it, maybe the greatest play ever, but that for a playwright. <laughs> Way to get upstaged. Yeah. Like, and, he, and no one wants to hear it. Like, no one has sympathy for him. Because they're all, Lincoln got shot, dude. He was the president. What? You, yeah, but it was the greatest thing I ever wrote. California Suite. the 19th century. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. But so, that, was, that was sort of a reveal for me. I, I thought that they were at, I thought that Spielberg was actually going to 
try to shoehorn in um, the uh, the Our American Cousin thing and make us watch the assassination. And instead, I didn't realize that Tad had been uh, what was he watching? Aladdin, uh, I think he was watching Aladdin. Um, Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, if I if memory serves, and I forgot that that element of it, and I, I think that was a little too much. I didn't need to see him gripping the rail and screaming, um, but I, I thought it was. Uh, uh, a he doesn't even know if he's dead yet. He just goes, "Hey, your dad's been shot," and then he screams. Well, I didn't need any of that. I mean, you know, it no, end after no, this. This either. movie definitely needed to end ten, fifteen, twenty minutes before it did. Uh, you, you know it. It, it had a great, you know, the 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 resolution of the vote, people's reaction to it. I was fine with just ending there. You know, if the movie's going to be about the Thirteenth Amendment, once it passes, everything after that, just trim that stuff. I, I always feel tipped when I see a great actor and he's and he's and already he's dead because it's like he's not even acting; he's just laying there. The last scene of yeah, it's Daniel Day Lewis basically dozing. Yeah, it's your Oscar. You really was convincing. Be <laughs> reenacted. <laughs> Etc. More. <laughs> You're relieved. <laughs> Just anything I say, right? It's that time. That, that works. That works. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I won. You didn't, you didn't want to talk about it at all. No. I was annoyed. No me. Uh, all right. So there's Lincoln. It's a three-way split, I guess. Uh, now, do you guys think he'll win uh, Best uh, Actor? I mean, I guess we don't know till we see the December stuff, but it, I, without we're, we're going to see... Well, uh, win Best Actor. You know, these are scripted characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dingus, you're saying without a doubt. I, I mean, yeah, it's sort of a, he'll definitely be nominated, but uh, yeah, this is one of... That's kind of... It felt like a, like a Spielberg thing, and i got to do an Oscar movie after War of the Worlds and... Uh, Tin Tin. It's time to do an Oscar movie. Well, he Link. supposedly really pursued him for a long time. And Daniel Day-Lewis said, look, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to give me a year to get ready. And apparently um, Leonardo DiCaprio made it happen. How did he do that? I don't even care. He, he, <laughs> yeah, Kelly doesn't care, so never mind. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean no, to. Let's, let's just move on. I'm, I could prattle uh, on. Did it. you guys know that Daniel Day-Lewis was originally cast in Steven Soderbergh's uh, Stellaris remake? No. The, the George Clooney part? Yeah. What's the punchline? No punchline. Uh, that George Clooney ended up playing the part. That's the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right, so this week's and three by three. Caprio story, because now maybe it's good, and I'm, I feel like, oh, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, so. uh, apparently he sent him a text message, and he just got it right now. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? This is the ambience of Vancouver outside my window. Uh, Steven Spielberg kept asking Daniel Day Lewis to do it, and Daniel Day Lewis kept saying, "There's no way I can do this part if I'm, you know, if I'm, I, I'll, I just can't do it." And um, at some point, Leonardo DiCaprio was talking to Steven Spielberg, and Leonardo said, uh, "I'll take care of it," <laughs> and and called Daniel Day Lewis. Nobody knows what that conversation was like, but after that, um, Leonardo got back in touch with Steven Spielberg and said, "Give him a call right now. Here's his number." Oh, Gangs of New York. I was thinking, like, why would Leonardo DiCaprio have any leverage with Daniel Day-Lewis? Okay, so Gangs, it's, this all goes back to Gangs of New York, right? Yes, exactly. I see. And so uh, and so, Steven Spielberg then called Daniel Day-Lewis, and Daniel Day-Lewis says, okay, these are my terms. I get to play it exactly how I want to play it. I get to do the voice exactly how I want to do it, and I need a year to get ready. And Spielberg's like, okay, I'm going to do Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be over here. <laughs> Let me know. 
I know when you're ready. So I, worth I, the wait. So worth the wait. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to know if uh, Daniel Day Lewis saw Tintin before they started shooting and. <laughs> Newton <laughs> texted him. Uh, change mine, <laughs> please. I hear George Clooney is available. <laughs> Gangs oh, in New York is Scorsese's Lincoln. Uh, okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right, this week's three by three. I want from you guys exceptional acts of cowardice. Um, and as I mentioned last week, you can use exceptional to mean atypical, or you can use exceptional to mean uh, great or extreme. Uh, do this as you will. Uh, I basically just have one thing in mind, and I thought of two others, so uh, I'll be curious to hear what, what you guys came up with. Um, so, Dingus, you are introducing next week's 3 by 3 so why don't you start us off with your number three exceptional act of cowardice. And, Dingus, if you steal my number one, I am going to... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna secede from this podcast. I've never heard him like this before. You better do it, Dingus. <laughs> you know, seceding is illegal, Tom. Well, God damn it! I'm voting yes. <laughs> uh, no, you should just abstain. Forget that. <laughs> All right, shall I do a quote? Yes, give us a quote, Dingus. Mm. Kelly Wan, do you recognize that quote from Dingus? Uh. It's what I was thinking during Lincoln. <laughs> uh, Dingus, can you give us the quote with your mic turned on? I like this podcast now. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what do you think Dingus's pick was? Uh, it was probably happen? Rushmore or <laughs> Midnight Run. Yeah, Rushmore or Midnight Run, Dingus. A crossover movie. You guys choose your favorite. Go ahead. <laughs> wait, wait, what just happened? Uh, you just went incommunicado on us. You went around the dark side of the moon, and you're back. So, Dingus, give us a quote from your number three pick for an exceptional act of cowardice. All right, here's a quote from it. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. See, see Kelly Wand? I, I now secede. <laughs> I can no longer stomach the tyranny of Dingus stealing my picks and ruining my number one choice for an exceptional act of cowardice. I don't know what it is. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit! Well, since I, since it's my first people and only Dingus is number three, I'll be the one to announce it. Go ahead. Uh, it is twenty-eight weeks later. It's the uh, opening uh, bit with Robert Carlyle. Uh, yeah. All right, so Dingus, what makes this an exceptional act of cowardice? Because what are you going to do if a bunch of infected bust in and you're separated from your wife and this random kid that you found? What are you going to do? How is this an exceptional act of cowardice? What is exceptional for me is that I was I really wanted to find three acts of cowardice that involve somebody that I think is going to be the hero or who should be the hero of the movie or you know even the protagonist. Um, but beyond that, it's it's of course a, a, a father uh, betraying his beloved wife and and so uh, what, what the reason? Well, no, you know it's your it's your number one. Why don't you go ahead with it? Well, uh, what I love about it and what makes it exceptional. Well, first of all, first of all, yes. tell uh, set the set the scene a little bit. Well, so the the opening bits of Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Twenty Eight Weeks Later is the sequel to Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, the sequel was uh, was directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, uh, but supposedly uh, Danny Boyle, who did the first movie, helped him on the first fifteen minutes of this. And the first fifteen minutes, the opening bit of Twenty Eight Weeks Later, I feel is one of the most perfect zombie movies ever made. I mean, I love the entirety of Twenty Eight Weeks Later, but I especially love that first fifteen minutes, just the crafting that goes into that on so many levels, uh, the the character decisions that are made, and and. All Ultimately, the decision that Robert Carlyle makes, uh, 
uh, are just this amazing little self-contained zombie movie. Uh, so what happens is, uh, the as will happen in any zombie movie, the safe house, the enclave, uh, is overrun, and uh, everybody has to run for their lives. And many people get killed, of course. And at one point, Robert Carlyle uh, is separated from his wife, and instead of running to try to save her, he closes a door and he flees. And then he sees her in the window getting attacked by zombies. Um, and rather than going in and, and sacrificing himself, uh, the movie is ultimately about what this does to him and his family uh, in, in, uh, in, in the rest of the movie. And that's what I love about it, Dingus, is that the movie is about the fallout from this act of cowardice. Um, is that it doesn't stop. He doesn't just do that and become a good guy or a bad guy. The movie is all about the results of this. Um, and, and just how heartbreaking that is, too, and how he sells it, uh, and how it's shot. I mean, it's just so frantic, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the way that John Murphy's music plays over it, the way it's shot with this little flying camera when he's running, uh, you know, the way they pull focus when the zombies are coming over the, the horizon, uh, and even what he sees. Like, there's, there's a bit of this unreliable narrator thing going on, where he, he actually sees her in the window... And we, as an audience, you know, his he we see her get yanked away, but we don't see any any infected attacking her. Um, so it, it's not really clear what he sees. So that when he's explaining to his children later in the movie what's happened, he's not necessarily lying. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, but- I- yeah. But it's it's amazing when you get that line. You you what did, what what did she say? You said you said you saw mom die. He, yeah, he, you well, saw her die, and what we see is this close-up of her at the window that he can't possibly see. Right. Well, what he says is he saw them biting her, I think, uh, and that's kind of a lie. Um, but he, he's breaking up as he's saying it. I mean, it's, it's obviously difficult for him to remember. He doesn't know what to tell them, uh, and you know, he just he just kind of falls apart trying to explain, and he becomes inarticulate and just kind of stops with saying, "I saw them biting her," when he didn't really see that. Um, and it's not a vicious lie or anything. Um, so I, I just, I, I, I love how that decision just has reverberations throughout the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks for stealing my number one dingus jerk. Sorry about that. I think it's actually him later in the movie, even though Tom thinks I'm crazy. You think what's actually him later in the movie when he's down in the train and like, down in the train. You mean in the subway station? No. Yeah, the subway crazy. station. Thank you. It's clearly him. No, it is clearly him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I thought Tom thought that that was like, oh, he couldn't have. Act- it wouldn't have actually been him. It's like what that character is seeing. Oh uh, yeah. So Kelly Wan, Dingus, and I have resigned ourselves to this issue. Uh, what we desperately wanted is to believe that Juan Carlos Fresnadillo was not breaking the rules that Danny Boyle and Ar- Alex Garland had set in the first movie, but. I have come, you know, it's, it's, it's like seven stages of dealing with a director breaking the rules of a sequel. I've come to the uh, resignation and acceptance part of those stages. I went through grief, denial, anger. I went through all of those, and now I simply accept uh, that Juan Carlos Fresnadillo turned Robert Carlyle into a, a super zombie dad, and it was not an imaginary thing. Right. So That's what I think, too. Well, I, I finally come around to that. It took me a while. Oh, it was a journey. I didn't know you made this transition. It was a difficult transition, but uh, I'm there with you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Well, where it's one set of tracks, it's where I was carrying you through the transition. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, Kelly One, what is your number three pick for an exceptional act of cowardice? Oh. Hey, I really liked this topic. I thought it was good. Whoa, no way, because you were griefing me last week. Yeah, I know. Ah, I you, just, so you liked it? I was just, my feelings were hurt, because I thought you didn't like my topic and didn't, you know, didn't try, because I thought it was too dumb to try. Kelly's I thought I, I did a great job last week. I'm very proud of my picks. Uh, so you you unironically like this topic. Interesting. All right, well, what what is your number three pick, then? Although I think that mm-hmm. it having two categories, like your two definitions of exceptional, there's, like, no overlap. Or I guess there is. I guess one thing is just a subset of exceptional. Disregard everything I just said. Ever. <laughs> uh, my number three is the least interesting, but it's from Jabberwocky. <laughs> like the Monty Python thing? Yeah. Because he never seen Monster. That. Terry Gilliam's first movie? You wouldn't have seen that? Or sec- first and a half, because Holy Grail was co-directed by him and Jones. Uh, no, I don't think I ever have seen Jabberwocky. Uh, I don't know if you'd like it. It's kind of an acquired taste. But anyway, well, now it's a spoiler, though. But he beats oh, okay. Jabberwocky by kneeling and crouching in terror, but he, his sword's pointed over his shoulder, and then it, like, stabs <laughs> his eye. So his cowardice saves him. That's kind of the typical, like, way you defeat the monsters. Like, you fall down, but when the monster's yeah. jumping on you, the spear, the sword is held up, and the monster impales itself. Like, uh, Consul and Gretel trick the witch into going into the oven. Like, that's the easy part. Like, oh, yeah, you just bend over, and the witch will, like, fall into it. But in Jabberwocky, it's not intentional. It was an act of cowardice that ended up killing the Jabberwocky. Right. So the character's arc is learning to be a more tactical coward. Now, I thought in the source material, the Jabberwocky was, like, beheaded with some snickersnack or something like that. It was a bandit snatch. Ah, right. Watch your language, Kelly Wand. Uh, all right, so that's a good one. Uh, Angus, I don't know about... Thank you. There's a really <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, my number three. Is a really good one. That's a that is a, a more because the whole movie's about it. And I've noticed though that in movies about cowards is the main character. There's a bunch of cowards also in the movie. Like all the other characters are cowardly, but nobody comments on it because it's not their story. Mm-hmm. So, so wait, this is Jabberwocky you're talking about? No, 28 Weeks Later. Oh, 28 Weeks Later, right, right, okay. (laughs) I didn't realize we were backing up. We can, I'm I'm more than happy to. We're talking about two movies at the same time. (laughs) What do Jabberwocky and 28 Weeks Later have in common? Uh, Well, that we're talking about them. But Mm -hmm. uh, 20 Weeks Later, like, isn't the army guy kind of a coward, too? He gets killed. Well, you know, you need cowards in a zombie movie, and and that's part of why I, I really appreciate the 28 Weeks Later one, is it's not the usual cowardice, and the, the coward is the one who lets people in, or who ruins the plans, or he's a psychopath, or, I mean, right. I no one picked the guy from uh, from Night of the Living Dead who, who runs into the basement and closes the door and won't let anybody in. You know, that's the typical zombie movie cowardice, and 28 Weeks Later, in so many ways, like, trumped the usual zombie movie stuff. And one of the ways, Kelly Wan, that I feel it trumped it is the military is effective in 28 weeks later no it's terrible what are you talking nope. about? it gets everything done here what, we go again it gets turns the light i know we're, we've already had this no, no it, it's effective but what right right it's 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 harold perrineau's compassion that undermines it like code right. red or whatever it's called it's a mountain dew what is it plan red what uh, anyway whatever idris elba does works really yeah that. They, they yeah, lock yeah, down the... They yeah. Fail at everything. yeah, but they kill all those people, and they get them stuck there, and the power goes out for no reason. But they contain the outbreak, don't they? No, they don't. They, it goes to Paris. 
Well, that's because of Harold Perrineau. You can't blame the military for one man's compassion. He broke the rules, see? Yeah, but the other guy, the snipers are hitting humans instead of zombies. And that's a, and that's a decision they have to make. I mean, the military has to make that call. Uh, is you know what everything's gone to hell. We are now you know no holds barred. Everybody, everybody. Didn't we, have we to- argue too? Like Robert Carlyle isn't a coward because he's shutting the door because he couldn't have saved her anyway. Well, you know what? That's a, actually a good question. Uh, I. Uh, I mean, part of being brave is that sometimes you're going to get yourself killed, I think. That's just kind right, of how yeah. that works. Uh, so even though <laughs> cowards cowards tend to stay alive, I mean, yeah, they, they, they're, you could make then an argument. And they feel bad about it, and then the next time they're super brave. And you can make an argument. If he's not an act of cowardice, then he would have told the truth to his kids. I mean, that's true. Right, of, right. His lie is is kind of telling. And, and you could make a, an argument, Kelly, on that cowardice is an effective means of self-preservation. Yeah. So, because if we if we were if we had no cowards, we'd all we'd lose the battle every time because everyone would be brave. You know, let's let's save that for how it will apply to our our other picks. Oh, we'll right. So, so here's here's a controversial pick. I don't know about controversial. I hated this movie. Normally, movies I hate don't get on three by threes because I hate them and I don't I don't care to talk about them anymore. But this moment, I hated in this movie. I hated this movie, and when this moment happened, I hated this movie even more. I thought the character was a coward for what he did, uh, and it's kind of a, a, a loaded uh, not a loaded, but th- this is something that. Um, I think can be contentious to discuss. Uh, people feel different ways about it. But I hated the moment, and I hated the character who decided to do this in a, a movie. I know. See? Honey's with me. Dingus' dog is with me. Uh, in a movie called The Hours, uh, Ed Harris Ugh. plays the guy who has AIDS, and uh, he's he's he commits suicide in front of his best friend. The person who, to whom he is closest in the world, played by Meryl Streep, he ha- she's in his apartment, and he's like, oh, I have AIDS, uh, whatever, I'm going to get an award, but I have AIDS, and it's terrible. <sighs> and he's all moping around, and he goes and sits on a windowsill while he's talking to her and just throws himself backwards out of the windowsill in front of her. And now, now I think we're supposed to think that it's this big, operatic, tragic moment, but it just made me think, what a freaking jerk. What a coward. So Why, suicide- because he went over backwards? <laughs> you think you could do it? That's fancy the dickish move. I mean, suicide is difficult. I mean, I, I just feel there's something innately cowardly, uh, and this is a terrible thing to say about people who have committed suicide. But I feel like if you were really brave, you could deal with whatever life is throwing at you. I know that's really easy for me to say. It, it's it's a it's sort of a glib approach to a complicated topic. But in this instance, I just thought it was so cowardly of him to do that in that way. I already hated the movie anyway. I hated it even more. So. The, Ed Harris's defenestration, auto defenestration in the hours was to me a, an extreme act of cowardice. You just want the one excuse to say defenestration. But no, auto defenestration. That's disgusting. I to get that in there. Sickening. Uh, <laughs> it's more Nicole Kidman's wearing the nose, fake nose, right? I hated the nose as well, yeah. I didn't want to see that. Uh, I didn't remember, though, uh, there, isn't that, there's like a hot lesbian kiss between. Julianne Moore and Tony Collette. Did you guys remember that part of the hours? No, but you don't have to put the word hot there. 
That is Tony Collette's not a hot lesbian. Did you watch The Hours again? No, good lord, no, no. I had to. I, I wanted to. I'd forgotten why. I mean, I knew he had AIDS, but I'd forgotten why he committed suicide like that in that movie. So I, I read the little Wikipedia entry uh, again about the plot. I was like, why did he do that again? It was so stupid. And uh, and just in reading the plot, I was like, wow, Julianne Moore and Tony Collette made out in their little subplot. Awesome. So, but no, I, I did not watch it again. Uh, Kelly, one, could you watch the hours for us again? Let us. All right. How long also, is it? Also, the reader, make a double feature of that. <laughs> Get a nice hearty dose of uh, Stephen Daldry, Kelly Wand. Boring titles. Uh, hours of reading. What is your number two pick for an exceptional act of cowardice? All right, I'm going to give you a quote from it. Mm. Jay's turned, and he's not coming back. That sounded like uh, Richard Iota in The Watch. Oh, God. (laughs) It is not. Uh, James, Um, he's not coming back. I don't know. All right, so this is from a movie that, uh, I don't know how you do this, but you somehow managed to bring up movies I'm going to talk about that we haven't talked about in years. Uh, This is from a movie called Animal Kingdom. Let me change my underwear real quick. Okay, there. Uh, okay, so what was uh, what was the uh, act of cowardice, Dingus? All right, it's Animal Kingdom. I'm talking about the, the lead character, Jay. And it's after the raid on the safe house uh, when, um, gosh, what's her name? Mama Smurf? Is that what they call her? Uh, sends uh, the killers to the safe house to get rid of Jay because Jay's turned. And he's going to testify against the family. And um, and so Jay escapes from this before he before he can be killed in the safe house raid. And he's he's been coached to testify against the family. And the act of cowardice, and this is a little bit weird because um, it's. I don't know, I'm kind of cheating a little bit. It's sort of a purported act of cowardice. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Is I'm wondering what part. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm just curious, like what you're picking as the cowardice. But go on. I'm sorry. Well, well, for for me as an audience member, as I watch, he the act of cowardice is also part of a plot that you don't think that this particular character would be able to do. So he he goes to her. He goes to um, her and says, "I can't live like this." And then they hatch a plot wherein his testimony will have holes in it so that the brothers, uh, Pope and I can't, can't remember the other one, get out of jail. The uh, one with, so the, he, with the BMX bike that was better than his. Thank you, yes. So, um, so he, he, he's going to testify against them, which is, you know, an act of bravery, or unless you're the criminals, that is an act of cowardice. And he backs out because he's afraid of being killed. Um, so for us, and why it's extraordinary to me is because it's an apparent act of cowardice. Right. It's feigned cowardice. It, it's feigned cowardice, but it's motivated by, and I, and you know, that character is just a fascinating character to me. I can't get him out of my head because he just has such weird, uh, lack of affect until that one bathroom scene. And so for me, I'm thinking, oh, this is that classic moment where he, he turns on the police and uh, and he's just going to become a part of the crime family again. But, of course, it figures in the end that um, that this was all just part of his plan. So that's why it's extraordinary. It's because it's feigned. Did you get to watch that again when I could have been watching The Hours? 
Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't realize until this week that I don't own that movie, and that's a, a, an egregious oversight on my part. Mm, yeah, Dingus, I need you to get on that. Uh, I it, I can't decide if Dingus's pick is amazing or completely wrong because it's not technically cowardice. But as you're watching it, you think it is. You're like, God, why? He's really right. No, no, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really interesting choice. And it, yeah, and that's it, why I think it's a little bit of cheating, but uh, but that's why I I kind of like that Tom appended the word extraordinary uh, because yeah. you can kind of flex that word. Exceptional. Exceptional. Yes. So that was Tom's gimme for like a thoughtful answer. Like the more thoughtful, the better. So you came up with that. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Kelly, what is your number two pick for an exceptional uh, act of cowardice? Did you see that movie Ravenous? Yeah. Speaking of Robert Carlyle. (laughs) Right. See, he's in all the cowardice movies. But Guy Pierce. This is another example of what I'm talking about, where it's like the main character's a coward, but like he's surrounded by other ones throughout the movie. I think. I guess that's the theme. But it's just like it's his soul at stake rather than theirs. Anyway, uh, explain the moment to us. Well, in this instance, it's because he's eating a guy so that he has the strength for mutually assured bear trap destruction with another cannibal played by Robert Carlyle. <laughs> Sounds like we're getting a synopsis. Keep going. <laughs> Well, it's like, do I want to set it up or just get it over with? But it's like, you're, so he's the cowardice is actually the cannibalism because he's eating it. He's he's you actually in back, right? I'm doing. It's, I guess it's like Dingus's thing. It's not technically cowardice because he he's trying to make the he's trying to win the fight, which is mm-hmm. what a coward would do. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, I guess he would. No one tries to lose the fight. But he gives in. He becomes a cannibal. Like he he he. Yeah, uh, he's the bad cannibal. He succumbs. Right. Right. He's just doing what Will Graham does in Manhunter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, who directed Ravenous, Kelly Wand? Uh, that guy? That girl. One of is those. it a woman? Oh, I don't know. Because I, I, I'm just wondering, is Ravenous, is the director of Ravenous someone who went on to do other stuff? Or was that like a one-trick? It's uh... a one-trick, but it was a girl. Wow. She Good never came her. back. It's like Diablo Cody gets 90 chances. <laughs> The woman who did Ravenous is off the <laughs> shot. Uh, Antonia Bird. Oh, no, no. She's done a couple of things. Yeah, yeah that's right. Has. Okay, good. Uh, how can I forget a name like that, too, by the way? <laughs> All right, Ravenous. I like that pick. Yes, Kelly Wand? Nothing. I like that movie, though. It's got that really weird music, too. It's kind of uh, I haven't seen Ravenous in forever. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, you know you know what? Uh, Ravenous also has... Oh, what's the Jeffrey name? Jeffrey Stephen Spinell is in it. Uh, who's that? Stephen Spinell was in Lincoln as well, and he's in, he's in the in, he's in the the movie we love Rubber. He's the guy at the beginning who he's says, not the lead in Rubber. The yeah, lead in Spinella. Rubber? That's right. He was in Ravenous. Wow. Okay. He has a really small part because I think I did Ravenous for the uh, uh, the 2020 frame game, and and I and he's in this huge facial hair thing, but it's definitely him. I'm almost certain it is. Who was he in Lincoln, Dingus? In Lincoln, he's he's the guy who um, I think he dresses down. He's, he's one of the real... Uh, oh God, I can't even remember the character name now. Um, Sebastian something or other. Uh, I think he dresses down Tommy Lee Jones after Tommy Lee Jones gives that speech. You know, and says, you know, I can't believe you 
you've done this, you've turned your back or whatever, whatever he says, but he's, he's a real earnest character. You know, I'm just glad that people shave more nowadays. So you can see their faces. <laughs> what? Well, Steven Spinell, I like, I love this guy from rubber and I was, he was there in Lincoln. I didn't even realize I was looking at him. Oh, Oh, did you like, great, he's just got such a great energy. I recognize that guy. We didn't talk about the girls guy in Lincoln. Uh, the girls guy in Lincoln, uh, Adam Driver. I think we we briefly mentioned him. Oh, okay, telegraph no, operator. Yeah, he got his one line in there, basically. Uh, all right, so it's my number two pick. So Kelly Wan, Ravenous, very good. We don't hear enough about Ravenous on this podcast. Uh, here's a movie you guys have never even heard of. You're never going to see it. Nobody's heard of it. Um, and you know what? I'm afraid I'm going to spoil it just because it's kind of an important uh, you know what? Maybe I won't spoil it. So there's a uh, Kelly one. When I say to you Scottish zombie movies, what comes to mind? Uh... Exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> uh, there is a Scottish zombie movie called The Dead Outside, um, which opens um, with a man leaving his house where he's supposedly been holed up. Uh, he's like burying the people he was there with, and he leaves and. Uh, this particular zombie outbreak is like a, a, a neural degenerative disease where people just like run around and, and babble wildly and try to kill each other. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily eating flesh. Uh, so this guy heads out into the Scottish countryside. Something's happened at the place he was staying. He runs into a house where there's another woman staying. And the movie is basically his relationship to this woman. And the woman, played by an actress who has not been in anything before or since, named Sandra Louise Douglas, is amazing. I love her performance in this movie. Um, but what you find out at the end of the movie is that the guy, the lead character, is in fact a coward. And what he has done to earn being a coward is is pretty much unconscionable. Uh, but you don't know that until the end of the movie. And you know what? I won't even say anything else about it because it's a really good example of an indie zombie movie that's about survivors rather than just zombies. And it's about decisions that people make. Um, it's about relationships. Uh, I just love this little indie movie called The Dead Outside. Uh, you need to bone up on your Scottish, though, because those people can be hard to understand. Uh, they sound like the zombies, huh? Uh, yeah, but it's like cool, sexy sounding. It's like Kelly McDonald, Kelly Wand. What if uh -huh. everybody sounded like Kelly McDonald? See, that's what Scotland is. Um, I like her to be a zombie and bite me. That doesn't guys. even work yet. Oh, no, that's terrible. That doesn't scan. <laughs> Unfortunate that Juan spoke again. <laughs> so my number two pick, I'm not going to spoil what it is because it's kind of the point of the movie, uh, but just the fact that you're watching a movie about a character and, and at the end you discover something about him. Uh, I, I just love how that unfolds in an obscure movie called The Dead Outside, which I was delighted to discover is on Netflix uh, Instant Instant Play, Instant Watch, whatever it's called. You can watch it now if you have Netflix. Um, Not in Canada, though. Well, come on over, cross over to the border, Kelly Wand. Go down to... Uh, watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's like Canada, you get the medicines, and then you, America, you have to steal the movies. It's like a movie medicine pick. trade, right? Yeah. Fascinating wand. Uh, all right, we are down to our number ones. You guys know mine because Dingus is a jerk. So, Dingus, as a jerk, what is your number one pick for an exceptional act of cowardice? All right, well, this one really breaks my heart, actually. Um, here's a quote from it. I, I don't know if this quote is going to work. Um, you know, it could be like this, just like always. <laughs> Kelly, one, do you know what accent that was? 
<laughs> he was doing. I think it was his not- southern and his Irish always confuse me. <laughs> so I'm going to say far and away. <laughs> Ew. I wish How come I'd- you never say you like my hat? <laughs> uh, Did you guys see that in the theater? Far and away. I've together. never seen that anywhere. All right, all right. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, so, Dingus, I don't. I'm not. Let's hear it one more time, Dingus, just to be sure. All right, you know it could be like this, just like always. See, Kelly, why we scared him away from doing the accent now? Uh, I be- like this accent too. That's the saddest part of this. I did as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Dingus. Labyrinth. All right. This is a movie. It is not Labyrinth. Uh, this is a movie called Brokeback Mountain. What's the line again? <laughs> You know, it could be like this, just like always. So, um, so he was doing a Wyoming drawl, Kelly Wand. That's what that was. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. What's the what's the cowardice in that? All right. Well, this is this is why it's it's just kind of heart, heartbreaking for me because and why it's exceptional as well. Um, uh, Ennis, um, damn it, I didn't write down his last name. Uh, anyway, Ennis, played by Heath Ledger, is in love with with Jack Twist. He's absolutely in love with him. Uh, they're in love with each other, and um, they have a shot at happiness, but they are in the wrong time period to legitimately have that happiness. But um, Jack is constantly pushing Ennis, or at least in my memory, to say we could have a life together. We could have a we could we could go to what is it, go to Mexico and have a ranch. We could we could we could be happy together, and not just every four years or, or every summer be together, but actually be together. And Ennis, um, and again, this is, this is arguable as far as whether or not it's an act of cowardice, but he's clearly in love with Jack, and he denies that. He denies that to uh, preserve his family, which he loses anyway, and to, in a way, preserve their lives, which they could lose by having an actual relationship at this particular time. But he denies himself and his, uh, his lover love. Uh, he denies himself a, sh- a shot at happiness and a shot at true love. And um, I think that that, in a way, uh, is an act of cowardice. And that, but it is an exceptional act of cowardice because there are understandable reasons for him to deny that, to deny himself and to deny the man he loves um, a life together. And so that's why I think uh, this one is my number one. And it does really break my heart to use it. Kelly Wand, how do you feel about that? I don't remember the movie very well. (laughs) It's just, you know what, Dingus, it's such a a tragedy of circumstance that I I hate to use the word cowardice. I mean, I I love your pick. Uh, I love hearing you talk about it, but I just hate to apply the word cowardice to that. Um, Oh, wait, ask me again. I honestly, I honestly feel the same way, Tom. Um, but, but, well, I already said everything I'm going to say. But oh, I good. All right. Feel the same way. Kelly, one, did you have you had a change of heart? It sounds like. Uh, it it didn't break my heart. It broke my back. <laughs> Kelly, one, can you work a, a Kelly McDonald reference into that one? Animal Bingdom. Animal Bingdom. A C of the G. Was that what she said? I don't know what you're saying. In Brave, when she chases the whis- whisper wills. <laughs> what are they? I love that he thinks they're whisper wills. What's the hottest killing? I guess Train Spotting's hottest killing McDonald. Uh, I'm pretty taken by her No Country for Old Men, Kelly McDonald. Um, Come on. Talk. That, you see, exactly. That scene, that's pretty hot. Uh. <laughs> 
She's not, because she's not saying no. Kelly Wan, what is your number one pick for an exceptional act of cowardice? Uh, my number one pick is the movie Star Wars, in which Han Solo, <laughs> he's, he's a coward, but he makes good, and he just shows up late, basically. And then he Oh, throws- I thought you were talking about running from the stormtroopers. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's cowardice? He, had, he was bailed up, especially in the remake. Well, you're doing, I see, you're doing an actual pick, like the thing where Han Solo is just going to take the money and leave, and that's cowardly. No, that's a good pick, Kelly Wand. I like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I approve of a Star Wars Your choice. Topic, yeah. And he also, it's like his coward, like if he just showed up for the battle to begin with, he probably would have gotten killed. But instead, his cowardice, he gets laid and money and promoted. <laughs> He gets a medal. All the other pilots are there. They're clapping for him. It's like, shut up. All our friends died. Yeah, give him a medal. Woo! The fruits of cowardice. That's yeah. That handsome right. rogue who shows up. Uh, and my number one pick, Dingus stole it. So nice work, Dingus. So if you're if you're if you're handsome, it, it's like your cowardice is okay. That's what's in Star Wars. Uh, so we have our fourth Beatles pick. Paul Weimer uh, gives us uh, his three picks. His number three pick is The Mummy Returns. <laughs> I did, that was my that was pick last week, I thought. He, well, he says, uh, he says, quote, I've had The Mummy movies on my mind since last sure. week's by three. Uh, he continues, at the end of the movie in the final battle, both Brendan Fraser and Arnold Vuslu as Imhotep are holding on for dear life over the edge of a pit that leads to hell. In contrast to Evie, who risks her own life to save the man she loves, her counterpart, Anuk Sanamun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I never saw any of the other <laughs> Paul Weimer, he knows his mummy. Uh, it means no worries. <laughs> uh, in contrast to Evie, uh, her counterpart, Anuk Sanamun, who has been shown as loyal and unwavering to her love, Imhotep, throughout the entire movie, Evie runs for her life instead, leaving Imhotep to fall and die. The lesson there is if you're the, and this is me, this is me editorializing on Paul's pick. Good pick, Paul. If you're the villain, your loyal sidekicks don't stay loyal. There you go. Uh, so Mummy Returns is number three pick. His number two pick, oh, I like this. Wait, so they always pick terrible henchmen, then. Villains are idiots. You would well, think, yeah. Henchmen, by their definition, are terrible. Yeah, exactly. If you have to use the term henchman, you can't expect much loyalty. I'm a professional henchman. Yeah. Uh, his number two pick, uh, I like this one a lot, Jurassic Park. During the T-Rex attack, the lawyer, played by Martin Ferrero from Miami Vice, goes above and beyond the call of duty in cowardice, running away from the children and the rest of the party in the stalled vehicle and heads into a nearby outhouse to hide. It does not save him from the T-Rex's wrath. Wait a minute, the other guys just sit in the car and watch. And Sa- uh, Sam Neill takes a flare and gets out and... Uh, Turns it around. Yeah, he says, over here! Over here! That was Dingus' New Zealand accent. Now do C-3PO saying it. (laughs) The sand That's not C-3PO. Oh, my God. Dingus is pretending he doesn't know Star Wars. No, he trolled you. (laughs) Fell for it. Yeah. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick, 
Uh, another good one. I like this. The Princess Bride. When Christopher Guest, uh, Count Rugen, a.k.a. the Six Fingers. Oh, that's a great yeah. one. That's yeah. a great pick. He's the right hand of Prince Humperdinck throughout the entire movie, the torture of Wesley and generally competent villain. When he finally encounters Inigo Montoya and is presented with the classic greeting from him, his first instinct is to run and lock a door behind him. It's a great timing thing, too. It's a very, it's yeah, it's totally like Chris in a yeah. stance. He's in the fencing stance. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's an epic one. That's a great one. Nice picks, Paul. Uh, all right, any runners-up from you, gentlemen? I have a couple. Yes, Dingus. Um, I really like Bernie Birnbaum in Miller's Crossing. And I think uh, it's exceptional because when he's when he's praying for his life on his knees and crying in the woods ah. so that he doesn't get shot, um, it's an act. Uh, you know, he later in the movie he says, all I have to do is squirt a few and you won't shoot me. Uh, he, That's he's a great really, dingus. It's it's just made up, so I love that. You know what, dingus? I'm going to sub in your number three because <laughs> that one's covered. We've got that one taken care of. So your number three pick is now John Turturro in Miller's Crossing. Very good. What other runners up you got? And then I do have one suicide one, and I, and uh, and it's uh, Sterling Hayden. Is that his name? Sterling Hayden in uh, in Doctor Strange Love. Hmm. I don't when know. But yeah, when he I, I know. himself. Uh, you know, he's he's created this whole war or he's trying to create this war and he has created it i mean he it works i mean he does yeah, yeah it works and rather than face what's going on he just shoots himself how do you feel about that one kelly wand that's not cowardice people who shoot themselves seem brave to me <laughs> so it's not defined suicide as an act of cowardice oh uh, He's such a like crazy larger than life insane representation of like a military though but yeah, you know what? I, maybe Craven. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Um, I Craven. That's, wait, that's your uh, half. <laughs> that's a, that's a, like a, a half measure of cowardice. Yeah, exactly. It's like a synonym. That's Craven not is half a cowardice. Right. Yeah, it's a short not one. every vertebra is yellow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to call out. Um, uh, Dingus, you don't understand this movie enough. You've seen it once, and I don't think you understood it. Uh, uh, Nicole Kidman's decision. <laughs> At the end of Margot at the wedding, to abandon her son, not abandon, but to send her son off to be with his father, uh, strikes me as an act of cowardice. But one of the, my favorite things, well, one of the many things I really like about Margot at the wedding is that she changes her mind. Uh, but I, I, I so thought Margot at the wedding was going to have just this typical, just just grim, misanthropic uh, Noah Baumbach ending. Uh, and instead, she does the right thing. Um, hmm. Uh, Just like Barbara Streisand in Road Trip, Guilt Trip. Guilt Trip. Come on, Kelly Wand. If, you, if you're not going to see it, at least get the name right. Uh, now I get that title. All right, so that is this week's 3x3. Three three. Kelly Wand, or no, uh, Dingus, what do you have for us next week for our 3x3? Three three? All right, I was going to use a different example from this, from uh, a classic movie, but since Kelly Wand uh, introduced Star Wars into the conversation, I'm going oh, to Star Wars example. Oh, God. So in Return of the Jedi, which <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that's a, that's a Star Wars movie, Kelly. Why are you laughing? Uh, I had an argument to someone at work this week where I said, oh, episode seven, eight, nine will suck no matter what. And he's like, no way. <laughs> Is that your kind of anecdote? It's quite oh, an no. argument, too. I see you guys have very rich debates up there in Canada. <laughs> did, you, did you come back with way? He's an American. That's why he said that. Uh, all right, so Dingus, you were telling us about, uh, what was it? So the, the redemption of Darth Vader, 
when he decides to fight the Emperor? Is that where you were going? Yes, because I know you guys like redemption, so your three favorite mo- moments of redemption. <laughs> Kelly, on, list. Yeah, Kelly Wan's list will be blank. Okay, Shawshank. <laughs> or you can do outtakes involving redemption. <laughs> All right, so in Return of the Jedi, there's a very, very, very important moment near the end of the movie where Han Solo is... <laughs> See, he can't even get. He can't even keep a straight face. Kelly Wand is cradling Princess Leia, and uh, um, and uh, and he's and you know he says you know I'm sure Luke wasn't on that when it blew. <laughs> and, <laughs> not the line. I think it is the line. And she stares off into the distance and goes, "He wasn't," or whatever she says. And uh, and Han Solo says very very bravely, uh, "Look." Uh, when we find him again, I won't get in the way. And she says, no, it's not like that. He's my brother. And, uh, oh, sorry, spoiler alert. And so is, also, in, in this revision of Star Wars, Dingus, is Princess Leia played by Jennifer Tilly? Yes. <laughs> is that what you're doing there? I couldn't quite tell. All right, go ahead. A great idea. He's my brother. <laughs> uh, and Han Solo has this look that goes over his face where he has this moment of realization where he's like, Oh, I get it. Your brother. Now I heard what you said. See? You you can you can see the look in in, in your mind. He's so mind. stupid and that's why I fucking hate Jedi. He's such an idiot in that movie. It's really it's like he got brain damage in the carbonite cuz he steps on the twig and it sets off the thing. <laughs> hate it. So these are yeah. these are your three favorite moments of epiphany for characters. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that's with, uh, like after that Jedi anecdote. I'm like, what is he gonna? Three stupidest double takes, three worst romantic couples, three worst Star Wars moments. Oh, epiphany. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, he's your brother. <laughs> favorite moments where 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 an, that's not an epiphany sees something and goes oh that's what this is about and it go and you can sort of see it melt over their face that moment of epiphany so your your three favorite moments of epiphany for a character that's just well, delayed hearing what she said though it's not like you went oh wait I get it he just slowly heard her brother <laughs> epiphany. Luckily, I know what the word epiphany means, so I, <laughs> I can now jettison it as pointless, thankfully. You're the one who brought up Star Wars. I was going to choose something entirely different. It's not true Star Wars. Jedi's not canon. It ended with Empire. It ends with them never going to find Han Solo and going, well, we tried. All right, <laughs> well, so... We uh, tried. That would be great if the third movie was, well, we tried. <laughs> and a shrug. Uh, let's animate it. So three epiphanies. Uh, if you would like to participate, uh, you don't need three. Even if you have one favorite epiphany, uh, let us know epiphanies that you like at 3 by 3 that's 3x3, at quarter2three.com. Uh, as usual, uh, please like us on iTunes. We like when you like us. Or no, rate us. Please rate us on iTunes. We hate when you like us, though. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you want to fund Kelly Wan seeing um, uh, Guilt Trip, $850. Uh, you can PayPal us that. He set his oh. price. Uh, alternatively, if you would like to do some Christmas shopping using our Amazon.com search box, please do that. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined. Wait, tell us what we say what we're seeing next week. Oh, yes, yes. And if you would like to see the movie we're going to spoil for you next week, be sure to see Life of Pi. Uh. 
What was the one I wanted to see? Red Dawn. You wanted to see uh, Thor in Red Dawn, I think. No, that's dumb choice. Forget that. Yeah. Uh, so instead, we'll see Life of Pi, which uh, I think is an erudite kind of a pursuit. I don't know. We'll find no, out. No, I want to see Hitchcock. That's the one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, you wanted to see Hitchcock. I see. Uh, Seth Rogen, Hitchcock. You know what? You know what, Kelly Wand? You can. No. You, no, we would we would welcome hearing about Hitchcock if it's any good. Yeah, um, we should have a Hitchcock report next week. Yeah. You know, I I just, like Anthony Hopkins. I really like, but I don't know how I feel. His Nixon was was not very Nixon esque. It was just kind of Anthony Hopkins. So I, I don't know that I could watch Anthony Hopkins and think Alfred Hitchcock. I don't back know. Back to back biopics too. Fuck that shit. Lincoln kind of wore me out. Look at the makeup in that poster. Good God, what is going on with that? On the bird. <laughs> uh, let's see. So uh, join us for Life of Pi and our three by three of epiphanies. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Markovsky, I believe it is. It's Christian Morosky. Mm, I don't know. And uh, Kelly Wand. Birds don't need makeup when they're younger. Uh. Um. I'm Lincoln Podcast, yeah, bitch. Kelly, what did you have a can, a can antidote? Well, my landlord and his uh, Asian girlfriend invited me to go to the insane asylum and look at ghosts, like hunt ghosts. Ooh. Um, so we're waiting for the an rain. Abandoned insane asylum. Right, an abandoned insane asylum. And uh, I like this. Uh, right. Also. There's a documentary about people who do that called Grave Encounters. Yeah, I heard there's a second one out about that movie. Ugh, um, don't see it. But, okay, so on my way to the... You, you were saying that my last few candidates, like, weren't Canadesque enough. So, right, right. Okay, on my way to the train station Friday morning, I passed an ancient, wizened Asian dude with a cane, and he was listening on a headset to a radio, and his lips were moving. And as he passed me, the sound coming from the radio was just like in Prince of Darkness when that voice goes, we're from the year 1999. <laughs> That's hot. And you're going to stop there? And then what happened? I, I just went, whoa, i got to tell Tom about that. <laughs> Dingus won't care. All right. Dingus doesn't know his horror movies. Yeah. Do you have a Tahunka note? Let's see. A Tahunka note. Uh, I had to sit through frickin' Lincoln oh. uh, sitting in the front left seat of the theater. Yeah, I did too. That's so weird. I had to let oh. front left seat packed. And yeah, if the people in Tahunga love Lincoln, I guess. I couldn't believe that. Because at, at, Canadians seem to like most movies. Like, they clapped after Cloud Atlas. But after Lincoln, like... They didn't even clap. Like that's how boring. Now there was some. There was definitely some obligatory applause from from my audience. Dingus, how was your audience receptive at the end of Lincoln? Uh, it was full. I had to sit le- uh, way back in the back on the side, and they all clapped uh, dutifully, heartily, actually. Man, I wish I could have sat way in the back of the left side. That's you know. The- do you, I, I, this will forever be etched in my brain as something just like sprawling out in front of me. This weird aspect. Uh, it, it's just horrible having to watch a movie like that. Who can do that? And you know what? I would have asked for my money back, maybe, but it was sold out, so I had to buy a ticket for flight and then go into Lincoln. So I couldn't very well. <laughs> so you very fucked well somebody out of their Lincoln seat. <laughs> you know what? No, it's never. No, no, because 
Yeah, they're never full. Uh, there's, there's always seats. And it wasn't full here. It's just like it sits smack dab in the middle in the front row. And then I was going to be having to, like, turn my neck left and right to see who was talking. Or I could sit on the edge to where I could see the whole screen, even though it was at a skewed angle. Uh, but it's just Lincoln. I can't miss anything. It's not like That's- Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I had to see Bad Lieutenant, the very front row on the left, staring up while uh, Harvey Keitel's penis dangled over me. Well, what do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Uh, I'm turning. Yeah, see? Uh, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, brah. Oh, to hell with it. Shoot me dead, too. <laughs>